Welcome to episode 5 of the Belfry Hockey Podcast, Belfry Offense. And today's episode, I want to talk about best play available. So, best play available, I think, is a really important concept. We don't hear a lot about it, but I think it's a really important thing, especially as it relates to offensive development for teams and for individual players, particularly individual players who... Uh, fashion themselves as like elite point producers this this then best play available is a process in which those players typically have to learn Uh, in the time in which they were growing up and they were young I'm talking under 12 13 years old they just leverage their individual skills they beat people one-on-one they're bigger faster quicker, uh, have way better hands, have way harder shot, way more accurate, way more confidence. They're miles ahead of the, uh, of the achievement gap. So they leverage all that stuff and they're just better. And so they're able to get away with being able to generate offense essentially by themselves. So of course, as the pyramid begins to go a little bit higher up the rungs, well, now the gap between them and, and other players is a lot less, and it becomes increasingly harder to go one-on-one consistently. You can go one-on-one, but you need to have a, a favorable advantage, usually, to be able to make that work. And not every player, uh, first, got to be able to recognize when you have the advantage, and the advantage is not every time. And then second, you got to know how to how to utilize that one-on-one in the context of the rest of the plays. So as it relates to best play available, I think this is a pathway for really good offensive players at the level that they're playing at to become great and to learn how to how to really understand that up until that point they're offensive ability had a lot to do with them one person their individual skill set and at the highest levels and at the elite level when you get like when everybody's good it becomes group and offense becomes group and scoring goals becomes how you can find creativity amongst multiple people so Someone who's creative, that creativity arc, like if you looked at it like an arc, it starts off with just an individual person being creative. They have excellent hands. They go one-on-one. They dangle people. They understand how to shoot. They find different ways to score, all that sort of stuff. That's all great, and that's part of the arc, so you don't want to take that away. But at a certain point, it has to start shifting, and this is what I'm talking about, about how to be creative with other people. This is where best play available becomes really important because the ability to just recognize a scoring chance is one thing, and the ability for other people to recognize when a scoring chance is imminent and put themselves in better positions, that's a completely other thing, and that's partly your responsibility if you want to be great. you got to teach people around you in order... Uh, to, to find ways to support you. And if you continue to go one-on-one, the ish, if you go one-on-one and 
you do it excessively when the moment doesn't arise for you to do that, other people stop playing. That's just the reality of it. You watch teams with great individual players when they're like 13, 14, 15. You start watching kids at that age. Watch, don't watch the individual player, the guy that can go and dangle and, and do stuff one-on-one. Don't watch that guy. Watch everyone else that's on the line with them and watch how they move and where they go and how they move. And what happens is, is that these kids around, they stop playing. They stop playing and moving in purposeful positions because like, what's the point? They're not going to get the puck, so they're not going to move. They're waiting for the shot to be taken because they're going to play the next puck, not this puck that this guy's working with. They're going to play the next one. And that's where it becomes problems. So now, it, it, where, where it comes, comes really, like the best example I can give you that's, that I think paints the picture really well is if you have a, a defenseman who's really good offensively, who wants to rush the puck. And so they just do it like 10, 12 times a night. They just get the puck, go from one end all the way to the other end. They dangle this guy, they dangle that guy through the neutral zone, get the blue line, off they go, and then they're creating chances. And eventually, like, they start playing against better teams, and it's just harder and harder to really create chances. Next thing you know, you're kind of getting painted more and more towards the corner. Well, as they're going and realizing that this play is no longer a threat, like they're no longer a personal threat to like walk somebody and go right to the net, they start getting painted into the corners. And as you see them starting to get pushed to the outside, now they want to start looking for where other people are. Well, the problem is those people, they stopped playing like games and games and games and games months and months and months ago. They stopped playing. As soon as you start taking off 10 times a night and they know they're not going to get a puck, they're going to do one of two things. Someone's going to just go to the net and stand there because eventually you're just going to wing a puck there and then they'll bang that in. Or they just stop playing altogether. They're just waiting for the next play. So once you get painted in the corner, you got nowhere else to go. Well, now you're going to you know, throw it behind the net or you're going to throw it at the net, rebound. Well, now they'll start playing. You watch them after, the, after the, the original puck carrier, the puck leaves their stick. Now watch the puck that everyone else. Everyone starts to move. That's the issue with players don't understand. They're yet to move and shift into best play available and where it originates is when kids are young the disparity of talent and and ability is much wider so they're on a line with someone who's not at their level so now they go on a two-on-one and they look and they see who it is and they're like that guy's not very good so then they don't pass that person they don't pass to them they just like they, they continue they take that two-on-one they turn into a one-on-one that's not best play available. Best play available is to pass the puck to that player, regardless of whether you think they're good or not. You still got to make that play. And when it when they're seven, eight, nine, ten years old, it's hard to tell them that because they're just you know they pass to them the poor kid on the other end, like they almost don't even want the puck themselves because it's like it's difficult, right? So it, at that age, it's more difficult. I'm talk, but I'm not talking about that age. I'm talking about when it gets older. When I'm talking about the same play happens. But the kids are, you know, north of 13, 14, 15, playing at high-level hockey. Now you start seeing that kind of stuff go on. Now everybody's losing. The kid that's the real good player who has a projection, who looks at a two-on-one and makes a decision not to make the right play when the right play is available, that kid's losing. The kid on the other end, 
that kid is also losing, of course, because they don't get the puck and the opportunity to try to improve and develop and get in, get rewarded for being in the right play place. That's the, that that kid loses. So we can't allow the reduction of talent to get moved back because we're not learning how to be how to make best play available. And the issue with that, and the reason why everyone loses, is because all of a sudden, when the top player has the puck, everyone else stops playing. And when everyone else stops playing, everyone loses. And the ability to develop group creativity, that evaporates. And now you're just waiting for a skilled player. And this is, like, you see it sometimes, and it drives me nuts. Like, you, you can see this all the way up. Like, I'm talking USHL, OHL, college, all the way up. You can see it, where guys will go in and they make decisions based on who they're with. They don't make those the, the right play, and then you start seeing people stop playing. They stop moving into good spots, and the collective hockey sense of the play starts to drop. So everyone is losing. The kid that knows that that's the right play does, sees it, has the ability to make the play, doesn't make it because they're making a decision based on what they think is the play that that kid on the other end is going to make. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. We don't. We have to hold them accountable to that. They have to make the right play. And the way it has to be done is like, look, you're going to make that play. If that's the right play, I know you saw it. You looked them off. You got to make that play. If you make that play, I'll worry about the kid on the other end. We'll make sure that that player knows that that puck is coming, they got to be ready, and they got to try to find a way to execute. And then that's my job to develop them. But if you just, we're going to play in practice, you're going to give them the puck, and then we get to a game, we get in the same situation, you don't give them the puck. Well, that player is going to stop. And then everyone, you, everyone is going to lose because they're not developing the offensive skills. And the hardest thing to develop, and the most sophisticated offense, comes from group creativity. And so the earlier that we can find ways to impress upon really good players the need to play as a group and to find ways to keep everyone else that's on the ice active. That's the key. We want them active, moving purposefully, go into good spots, arrive on time, get into an area with your stick on the ice ready to go. We need people to behave with those habits. They're not going to do that, and there's no incentive for them to do that if you don't give them the pucks. Like when we were talking about F2 in the last podcast. F2 before, we would tell F2, listen, you got to drive you, you got to drive the net. So F2 drives the net like a maniac the first time, and they take a cross-check in the throat, and they get to the net. They take another cross-check in the back. Uh, they, the shooter might actually shoot and hit them. Like, there's not a lot of glory in doing that. There's no payoff. So they do it once. It doesn't really work. They do it twice. It doesn't really work. There's really nothing happening for them. So what do they do? Well, they just start, they instead of F2 driving the net, they, like, pull up and start, like, coming in behind the puck carrier because they're looking for, like, a drop pass now. Well, that's counterintuitive to what we really want to be able to do. But that's an adaptation to a kid who's not getting rewarded for the play. So all this discussion we had last week about players off F2 now coming off the heels of a defender and getting that pass, 
Well, that's great because now they're willing. They're going to get pucks. They're going to get a payoff. There's going to be a play. They're going to be more rewarded. They're going to want to do it more. And that's such a critical distinction. So for me, that getting players to, to make that shift, and it is a shift. It's a mental shift because you're not going to ask an, an eight- or nine-year-old to make those plays. They just don't do it. They're all selfish anyways because of the nature of their age. But once you get older and you start playing with better players, in my mind, I want my best players to be players that good players, other good players, want to play with. That they want to play with them because they, they work hard to get pucks back. They push uh, people back. They skate off the puck. They, you know, they're working for the puck carrot. They get the puck. They understand where the puck needs to go next. They also understand best play available, and now they're a, they're a function because the odds of that really good player that we're talking about, they're really good in their league, but where are they relative to the rest of the, the, the state or the province or, the, or the, the country? Like, they might not be. They could be the best player in your city. They could be a top five player in your league. They might not be in the top. 300 kids in all of the province or uh, in in four states they might not be in the top 100 so they need to be able to be a uh, continue their development and they continue the development by understanding best play available and what that is and it's incredibly difficult to teach that uh, because the player has to trust the people around them they have to show it's one of those things where you have to show trust first so in other words you got to give that puck even though you don't want to. You got to give it first. And then the rewards of that are that that player is going to work hard for you in other areas. They're going to be F2 for you. They're going to work hard off the puck, all those sorts of things. So now you go back to the defenseman. So you have a rushing defenseman. They're electric. For 15 years old, uh, they're electric. But they stop everybody every time they rush the puck. They're going to do it 10, 12 times a night. All of our forwards are stopped standing standing there handing out tickets at the offensive blue line. There's literally standing there handing out tickets. There's nothing happening. They're not able to get involved. Now the puck, the, the puck carrier weaves his way and finally gets entry and then now runs out of space because they get pushed over because now it's one on four. The other kids have not had a chance to re-engage because they weren't timing the line. They're certainly not doing that. Like, What's the point of that? Uh, they're not going to get the puck anyways. And the, the puck carrier is only going to make a play when they've run out of room. Uh, and they've exhausted every personal opportunity to attack the net themselves. And then, of course, the worst part about all that is that rushing defenseman's success rate is just high enough that it encourages them to keep going. So they're not like getting painted every time. Every so often, they find an, a, a situation that allows them to walk somebody and go to the net. So now, you know, you're going at a rate of maybe like one time out of 10, they're able to generate this great scoring chance, which in their in their case, that's once a game. It's still the success rate. They don't care about that, but, they, but they're doing it once a night. And then of those games, they're scoring like maybe every three or four games. That success rate is still high enough for them to be like, you know what? Like, it ain't broke, so I'm going to keep going. And every time I'm going, it's just another lottery ticket, and we're going to see what happens. Meanwhile, I got forwards who are like, I'm never getting this puck. The best play available is to run a ladder so that they can keep the play on side. 
So in other words, they skate up, they give the puck to the forwards with speed, they keep going. After entry, they get the puck back. And they probably get it in a better spot with a better opportunity to attack. Now the forwards stay engaged. The f you can that defenseman now can be perhaps even F2. And now they're driving the net. And then we're using crossing passes and everybody in the offense is involved. Well, now they're working for that defenseman. Defenseman's still in the rush. They're just not carrying the puck from one end all the way to the other. They can still be in the rush. They give it and get it back. I call it a ladder play. Get it, keep moving, get it back. And if you're that good and you're that fast in that league, odds are you're going to be F2 a lot. And then, But the play is able to move with speed through the neutral zone because the, the game is played at the pace of the puck. So if one person is carrying the puck from one end to the other, the game is being played at the pace that they're skating. Not the pick puck, not the not the pace that the game could be played at if the puck was moving. Because then we have people moving off the puck. We got people in all different directions, and now the puck are all not all directions, all different depths. So we have someone up, you know, stretching the play. We got someone underneath. We got someone behind the puck. We got you know we got all these plays now available. Be, let's find the right play with the kid that has the right speed that can create uh, more opportunity for the next play so that uh, collectively the offense has a chance to find creativity. Where's What is creative anyways? Creative is options. It's the manipulation of multiple options. It's being able to have three options off the rush and be able to decide which the best option is, or maybe then create some deception to open up the best option, which is now your your uh, level of skill is going through the roof. That's what creative is, and the ability, the the what you want the top players to do is add options to the table. You want them to keep more kids involved. So, for example, back in the day, you would have forwards who were elite on the delay. Why were these guys so good? Well, because then all of a sudden a defenseman who would never think of joining and jumping and being like dot wide late, they would never do that. But now this guy delays. You're like, well, wait a minute. I might get this puck. Boom. All of a sudden you see that player. As soon as they see him delay, they're sprinting to get there because they're motivated because they're going to try, they're going to get a puck. That's an elite player who creates an involvement by adding, by adding that defenseman to the play adds a, another option that improves the creativity of the play. But if they don't, if they button hook, that kid sprints wide open on the backside, and every time you don't pass him the puck, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to do it once, not going to get it, a little frustrated. Second time, going to do it, now really frustrated. Third time, He's going to see it happening go, I'm not getting a puck anyway, so he's going to go for a line change. He ain't going to bother. So what that forward do by not back passing that puck? He eliminated an option. By eliminating and reducing options, you're reducing the group creativity of the play, and now you're dropping options off. So now you can't even, be, you can't even illustrate hockey sense even if you wanted to. Hockey sense is a manipulation of options in order to be able to create advantage. And so if you don't understand best play available and learn how to put more people in the play and pull more people in the play, you're not, you're, you're, you're reduced and you're actively 
by going one-on-one, you're knocking people off the play and reducing the number of people. Your hockey sense moving the wrong way, not the other. And it doesn't really matter. Eventually, it's not going to matter that you can walk somebody one-on-one. If everyone else has stopped playing, the odds of you walking somebody one-on-one and then going to the net and scoring, that's like one every four games, but you're doing it ten times a night. It just doesn't add up. And everyone else on the nine other times, they get frustrated, they stop playing every time you touch the puck. And then you get caught, now you're stuck in a corner, you have no options, someone's ready to hit you, and you're like, well, these guys, no one's open. (laughs) I wonder why no one's open. You haven't made a pass. You're not making plays. You're not adding people to the play. So now other people can't get involved. And so not only they can't get involved, they stop getting involved. So now I'm a scout coming to watch uh, minor midget hockey. And we have this group that played together for the last, whatever, two, three years. And now we, I'm coming to watch these kids play. And I see one guy skating a puck from blue line to blue line. All the forwards are stopped. No one's activating. I'm like, yeah, this kid's got good skill. He can't make a play to anybody else. Like, I don't know if this is projectable. I'm trying to figure out. And then I watch all the other forwards. I'm watching them. I'm like, these guys aren't all that bright either. They don't get involved. They're not moving. They're not moving off the puck. They don't move in a purposeful way. They don't really contribute to the play. These guys are not really active. The only time they go is when puck's off this guy's stick, and now they want to go get the puck themselves. That play is over. So everyone loses is my point when we don't talk about and enforce and reinforce best play available and this is a really critical aspect and I talk about it for a couple pages in my book and um, I think that you know you got uh, uh, you hear so often culture 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 team culture team 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 culture and you talk to me about all the stuff that you do to create team culture. Then I watch your team play. And I think your culture is reflected in watching the kids off the puck. If the kids off the puck are not moving, when your best player has the puck, your culture is terrible. It just is. Nobody's getting better here. Now, it doesn't matter how many kumbaya things you do in the dressing room. It doesn't matter all the different off-ice activities that you do. When I see the kids play and I watch the best kid with the puck and everyone else stops moving, that tells me what your culture is at. So this is a really important thing. And we, we, have, to, we have to move off of the idea of allowing excessive one-on-one that players then, well, one out of where the success rate is really low, but it does happen enough where we call that creative where the guy comes in and, you know, his one time he does beat somebody, throws it through his legs and he comes out the other side and he makes a sick play. Like, wow, that was, that was really creative. No, it's, it's still selfish because I'm watching everyone else. And if every creativity at a high level of hockey is reflected in group, And that's where best play available and learning how to enforce best play available to maintain the movement and the development of every kid on the ice is absolutely critical. And uh, we don't talk about this enough. uh, And so that's why I threw it in the book because it fit really nice in the book. Um, 
in what it was that I was talking about, but I think it's a really, really important thing. And then the next piece that goes with that is, as it relates to scoring, team scoring, team scoring, there's a mental resilience that goes with team scoring. Because at best, you're going you're gonna to operate on a you know, 10, 15, 10, 12% is about what you can hope for. Uh, shooting percentage. Uh, and that's the ones that hit the net. We haven't talked about the ones that don't hit the net. Like in your total shots, it's probably down to probably 6 or 8%. So you need 92 shots to score one, right? That's that, uh, when you start talking about it like that. Like, and that's total shots, right? So you got you, you got to start really looking at it from that perspective. And though if you do, then the mental resilience comes from when I, when I don't get the puck, that I'm reloading and rerouting to go to the next best spot. And if I don't get the puck there, I'm rerouting and reloading into the next best spot. And I go from the next best spot to the next best spot to the next best spot. That is a mental resilience. The way I can build mental resilience is through best play available because if the puck is moved enough at the right time, at the right, in the right moment to the player who's in the best position, I'm going to be able to encourage everyone on my team to move to their next best position. And the collective movement of my group will give me an opportunity to add more, op, more options to the table. I can teach my puck, puck carriers and the guys who are running all the spiders where all the pucks are running through them, I can teach them how to manage the game. Because they can manage the game through the movement of everyone else. They can add options to the table. They can elongate passing lanes. And they can make plays. But they're only going to be able to do that if everyone's moving. And we do that through the concept of best play available.